Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the DX Mentor Podcast, the ARRL DX Century Club, or as it's affectionately known, DXCC. Thank you for joining us. This episode is sponsored by ICOM America, makers of the finest radios and accessories for your amateur radio station, and by The Daily DX, the best source for real-time DX information. This episode is also sponsored by the Southwest Ohio DX Association, one of the premier DX clubs in the nation. I'm Bill, AJ8B, the DX Mentor. I am not the DX Guru. My guests today are the DX Gurus that are going to speak on this topic that we can all learn from. The guests today are Mike, W0VTT, Bernie, W3UR, and Joe, WAGEX. Each episode can also be viewed on YouTube under the DX Mentor channel. An episode schedule and more information can be found at www.aj8b.com slash the hyphen dx hyphen mentor hyphen podcast. I have a couple of notes to follow up on from the previous episode of the podcast. First, congratulations to Dwight K4YJ for adding Crozet Island to his DXCC count. I'm sure that many others did that as well, but since none have informed me, I can't announce it on the podcast. But Dwight did, so congratulations to you, my friend. I also received an email from Ernie, W8 Echo Hotel. Ernie says, quote, I just received my 6-meter VUCC award in the mail from the ARRL. I'm at 119 grids confirmed. I also received my first Parks on the Air Kilo Award for making a cumulative total of 1,000 contacts from a single park, East Fork State Park in Ohio. I operated portable from there on several different multi-day camping trips to get 1,000 contacts. On the last trip in November, I made 815 contacts on CW, phone, and digital modes. It was surprising that I worked quite a few DX stations with the NFED half-weight wire antennas and QRP using my ICOM 705. 14 countries and 49 states, I just missed Alaska, worked on the very last trip. The Parks on the Air program has really increased the activity on the bands. A lot of times there are pile-ups with many hunters trying to break through to the park activators. It's fun being the activator and it's and having everyone try to get to the front of the line to work you. Congratulations to Ernie for these well-deserved honors. Ernie's an excellent DXer as well and he uses every opportunity to sharpen his skills. At the end of the podcast or in the show notes, I'll let you know how you can also get in touch with me. So let's get started. What I'd like to do is go around a little bit. And if you give me just a quick 30-second uh, intro about your experience in DXing, that would be great. And let's start with Joe Pater, W8GEX. Well, thanks, Bill. I'm tickled to death to be part of this uh, group today. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've been around since uh, 1970. Um, on, on six meters years ago when I started, I uh, was just overwhelmed when I worked into the Caribbean on six meters and been a DXer ever since. I really, really, you know, got hooked on this. Been on uh, some some major D expeditions and been on a lot of just one man D expeditions, so um, I'm pretty much a D Xer uh, all the way. Okay, Mike W zero VTT. Okay, hello to everyone. Um, I was first licensed in '75, but it, it took me a good dozen years before I discovered D Xing. I I screwed around with a lot of other things. Um, I've been on a grand total of one D expedition. I went to Pitcairn Island three years ago with a VP6R. I'm, uh, I'm a keen student of DX history. I, I enjoy looking at the history of the DXCC program. 
I'm a, a DXCC card checker and I'm a member of the DX advisory committee uh, for the Dakota division. And, and Mike, just real quick, what is the role that you have with the advisory committee? What kind of things does the committee do? Um, we, we look at different aspects of the DXCC program. Um, occasionally we'll get tasked by the ARRL board of directors um, looking at things they might want to change, um, things they could improve on the program. Um, we, we also can accept uh, tasks from, from outside of the league. If, if a number of DXers say, hey, we should make this change to the DXCC program, we can look at that as well. And make we make recommendations to the board of directors, and then they decide whether or not to follow our recommendations. Okay, great. Uh, and last but certainly not least is uh, Bernie, W3UR. Uh, good afternoon. I was first licensed in 1977. Uh, my first DX contact was KZ5EK in the Canal Zone. Um, and I immediately became uh, addicted to DXing. Um, I got DXCC as a novice. I was, I believe, the second novice to get DXCC. Uh, followed by W4ZV, uh, Bill Tippett. Um, I was the youngest person, I believe, to get on the DXCC honor roll. That's the you know the bottom of the ladder uh, at age 27. Um, I've been on several DXpeditions, two all-time new ones, uh, East Timor and uh, Palestine. Um I started writing the Daily DX in 1997, the Weekly DX in 2000. I write the House DX column for QST Magazine since September 1999. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for now. Okay. Um, I have been licensed since 71, so I was a little bit of a kid at the time. Have only been chasing DX for like the last two solar cycles or maybe three, I guess closer to three. Uh, and I enjoy the heck out of it. Um, and the only DX expedition I've been to is uh, Joe's house uh, <laughs> to operate W1AW stroke eight. So that's been it. So anyway, a, a well-qualified group. Um, and any of you who have uh, followed the first uh, podcast, you know that um, I am the DX mentor. Um, which means I'm not the guru, but I'm the mentor, but I have the gurus with me. And that's the whole purpose is to try to uh, continue to peel this onion until we're all uh, learning just a tremendous amount. So I'm excited about today. Uh, so what I'd like to start a little bit, Mike, with you uh, as being the uh, DX historian, let's say, um, is how did this whole thing get started? I mean, we've got uh, you know, the expedition spending upwards of a million dollars now to go to remote places that uh, no, no man should ever really want to go to, um, and a lot of money and equipment and antennas and all those things, and uh, uh, and it's all because of this DXCC program. So, how did it get started? It got started because um, it, when when radio started, you you couldn't talk or hear things very far away, and as technology improved, you got so you could talk longer and longer distances. Um, hams in particular liked to measure their achievements against other hams and, um, and, and they wanted a yardstick by which to measure their achievements. Um, uh, you know, 
how do we tell who's worked the most of anything? So the DXCC program had its beginnings with an article in the October 1935 issue of QST. It was written by Clinton DeSoto, W1CBD. And uh, the, the title of his article was called How to Count Countries Worked, a New DX Scoring System. And, and he rambled on a bit. And the, the bottom line, that the crux of this whole program is, uh, this is a quote from his article, each discrete geographical or political entity is considered to be a country. And, and that one sentence is the, the ground, ground zero of the DXCC program. Um, the ARRL collaborated with um, uh, mapping experts, National Geographic um, uh, people, uh, um, people who, uh, geography experts, um, and in, in January of 1937, they came out with their first country list. It was, it was published in January 37, QST, it had 251 countries. And then in September of 1937, they introduced the DXCC award, DX Century Club for working 100 countries. Um, it didn't take long. November of 1937, they published the, the first DXCC list. There were five members um, the, the very first one to work all 100 countries or to work over 100 countries was uh, Frank Lu Lucas, W-H-C-R-A, in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. And he came in with a total of 112 countries. Um, hmm. A wow. year later, and, and, and note that's W-8, and he's in Pennsylvania. Um, Western Pennsylvania was in eight land in those days. Um, a year later, um, they, they had a whopping 29 members who, who had worked over 100 countries. And WHCRA was still uh, uh, top of the heap. He had 120 then. And the program continued with some minor changes until World War II when everything was shut down. Um, uh, we, we were shut down by an announcement by the FCC on, on Pearl Harbor Day and on December 7th, 1941, when all amateur radio activity had to stop. Wow. So I know my dad had a real interest in it um, before the war. And then when he came back, uh, that's when he got licensed. So um, I can remember him talking about that. Um, I, one thing I've always been a little curious about, um, and it may be on the scope of this, but uh, Bernie, I, I hear, you know, we talk about countries and we talk about entities and I kind of intermingle the two, but they really aren't the same thing, right? Uh, actually, really, they are. If you, if, As far as the DXCC award goes, um, it was always called countries, at least from the from the beginning. I think the entities word came into play uh, sometime just before the DXCC 2000 rules were uh, were released. Uh, and that was in April of uh, actually 1998. But that's uh, that's kind of when the uh, the the words went from country to entity. Okay. So Joe, I know he mentioned Canal Zone. I know you've you've been DXing for a while. I have Canal Zone. I have East Germany. 
I mean, there's countries we've confirmed that don't exist anymore. And I've always found that to be the interesting part of this. It's like we used to have Yugoslavia and Czechoslovakia, and now there's you know other countries in their place. So I know you must have a, a number of them that don't exist anymore. Yes, but you guys got one on me there because I have never uh, worked the old canal zone. I don't, I don't know where I was at. I guess I was really still in the garden <laughs> or, or, or just in the field, but I, I never worked that old canal zone. So, Bernie, I always thought that a, um, a, a country was like Japan, Germany, uh, uh, Uruguay, and an entity would, and I always thought, would be considered to be an uninhabited island. Do I really have that wrong? I think so. I, I, at least I think most DXers were, were calling them countries uh, up until probably the late 90s. I, I don't remember hearing entities before prior to that, but it, it may be. Let's pause for a message from ICOM. Happy New Year from ICOM. Didn't get everything on your wish list? Spice up your ham shack with one of ICOM's popular base stations. These radios are perfect for working your favorite bands while staying inside or venturing out this winter. The IC705 is the perfect sidekick and QRP companion. Base station features and functionality at the tip of your fingers and a portable package covering HF, 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs just over 2 pounds with RF direct sampling for most of the HF band and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz. Other features include a 4.3 inch touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall, five watts with the BP272 battery pack and 10 watts with 13.8 volts DC, single sideband CW, AM, FM, as well as full D-Star functionality, touchscreen display, micro USB connector, Bluetooth and WAN, integrated GPS with antenna and GPS logger, micro SD card slot, speaker and microphone. The HM243 is included. It supports QRP and QRPP operations. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the optional backpack LC192 with a special compartment for your IC705 and plenty of room for accessories. Another radio is the IC7300, a high-performance HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed expectations. This transceiver digitizes RF before various receiver stages, reducing inherent noise in different IF stages. The IC7300 changed the way entry-level HF is designed. Other features include RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and an SD memory card slot. For the love of ham radio. So, Mike, I, I know that there's always suggestions about uh, adding countries and deleting countries. Is that also things that you, you guys have to look at on the advisory committee? It is from time to time. Um, there has not been any of that since I've been a member. Um, and, and whether it's called a country or an entity, I, I think um, it's, it's, just, it's just a term that's used. Um, any of us who were chasing DX years ago, they're still countries. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, Hawaii is a country. 
American Samoa is a country. It, it, and, and you may call it whatever you want, but, and, and I don't think that's really important. No. Okay. Um, so the other thing you mentioned was the honor roll. So can okay. you talk, talk a little bit about what that means? Yes. Now that, that didn't start until after World War II. Um, we started up um, November 15th, 1945. We were authorized to get back on the air. And the league made their, their first announcement in uh, December 45. And then February 1947, they published a new DXCC list, had 257 countries. And they said, we're starting completely over with DXCC. Um, they threw out everything from before the war. Um, and then in November in 1947, they decided we should recognize the top 10 DXers. Um, the, the 10 DXers with the highest country count. Um, and in their, in their first listing, Charlie Mellon, W1FH, was top of the honor roll with 168 countries. There were 257 on the list. The number, the top man had only worked 168. Now, um, and of course, it's still the top 10, but there are thousands and thousands of people who have worked all the countries and even more who have worked all minus one. That would be me. I still need North Korea. Um, so, the honor roll, even though it still recognizes the top 10 numerically, it now includes thousands and thousands of people. But, so, but initially it was just 10 people. So we're at what, 300, are we at 342 now? Is that right? 340. 340. So if you 340. have 330 confirmed or more, you're on the honor roll. 331. You have oh, yeah, to yeah, need right. less than 10. Yes. Okay. And Bernie, I think you were holding up a list, but it wasn't getting yeah, in focus on the camera. I was holding up the uh, post-war country list that Mike was just mentioning. And, you know, it, it is interesting to me that um, one thing we touched on last podcast was the human side of, um, of DXing, you know, the different individuals that have gone to countries and left equipment behind, or they'll take money and supplies for schools or hospitals and such. Um, it's also interesting to me how much uh, geopolitical stuff enters into this because we're all curious, like, okay, is this going to be a new country? And if it gets approved by the, and, and it gets selfish because we're less concerned about the people perhaps and more like, when's this going to get approved? But it does really get you focused on what's going on, right? So to me, that that's always kind of a fun part of it. There's a few head scratchers on the list, but um, for the most part, I think it's pretty easy. I kind of thought entities were, um, I know if you look at the CQ list, there's a few extra things on the CQ list that are not on the DXCC list. And I'd always thought that CQ used the word entity to be the DXCC list plus those eight or nine. So that was always kind of my, um, but but clearly it really doesn't matter. I, I get that, but I, I just kind of wanted to try to get clarification. So what did they have listed as those entities, Bill? Um, Do you recall? I they don't. Have, um, they have some of the Italian islands that are closer to Africa than they are to Italy. Um, I can't come up with the names of them off the top of my head. Yeah, but, there's, but, there's seven, I think there's seven countries um, that are listed. 
and they're from the work doll europe list um i i don't know that i can name them all but Af Af african italy is one of them uh another one is turkey uh there's two turkeys they count yeah is the asian and european european um bear island which is part of svalbard that's right okay one uh for you one uh vic is another one um boy i i can't remember mm. i don't do the dx marathon the cq dx marathon but it's it's part of their award right yeah so we'll we'll be talking about the dx marathon in in the cq stuff here in two weeks but um i do know for uh, me, when my spotting alarm goes off and one of those entities, so to speak, is listed, I, I always pause like, well, that's not that's not Italy. Oh, yeah, that's that extra island in the Mediterranean there. So sometimes you have to stop. So we were kind of telling a, a funny story um, before we got started about endorsements. Um, and uh, it, it kind of centered around Joe. Joe had worked uh, a gazillion countries, uh, but never uh, applied for anything Um and then uh, the last few years, he decided, hey, I'd like to kind of get this documented and get it in. So all of a sudden, he's <laughs> he's got honor roll everywhere and he's got, you know, all this other stuff. And the one I kind of chuckled at was the 160 meter award uh, because he had a visiting card checker who reviewed the 160 meter cards and said, boy, you, you're at like 85 or something. And Joe, oh, wait a minute, let me go get another box of cards. <laughs> he brought those in and all of a sudden he's at 130 or something. So uh, Joe, uh, overall, though, I know you've got a lot of, and it's very recent, you've had a lot of endorsements and stuff. Um, does that, what is an endorsement and does that kind of give you a kick in this whole Chase and DX thing? Well, I guess originally I, I never did really care because I was sort of playing a game with myself, try to work all the states on all the bands, then start working the uh, countries. And, and I, I had all this accumulated but I just never did do anything with it. And then all my friends would, like you guys, would be talking about it. And here, little old me, I didn't have any of them. So I thought, well, before I pass away, I need to get all these so my family can throw it all in the dumpster. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. So I, I, I started working on them. So I, uh, I got the honor roll. And, and I got all bands, DXCC on, on all bands, and I just went on down the list. And I tell you, a guy that was, that was really helpful in a lot of this was uh, Jose, in for uh, BAA. And he just happens to live about an hour from me. I've never met the guy. I've only emailed and had him on the phone. But, but he had really been, been a big help. So it's a good feeling to have these awards hanging on the wall. So when other hams come in and particularly newer hams, you know, then they can say, well, look, this, this guy's got a lot of awards. He's been around. Maybe, maybe we ought to follow in his footsteps. So um, yeah, it's just a good feeling. Don't you guys feel the same way? I, I will confess, confess to obsessing about, uh, the paper chase and the cards and the awards. I, I mark off every little thing on my tick sheets and uh, I, I get pretty geeky about that. Yes. So the, the, the funny thing to me, 
now that I look back, I can remember just having sheets and sheets and sheets of things where I'm tracking, you know, and the ARL would give you these sheets you could get and you had to mark them and where's the QSL card and what did I send in and what didn't I send in and, and what do I need and what's my count? And now it's, yeah, just like that. Yep. So it's so much nicer now to have, you know, logbooks that kind of track all that for you. And sometimes it's kind of like contests when they have dupe sheets. I really don't know how we ever did a contest by hand. I just, now that you look at it, it's like, that's crazy. This, this is great stuff. So um, the DXCC challenge is one that I do nothing about. And I had sent all these cards in uh, through my checker and stuff like that. And they came back and said, Hey, you know, you're at uh, whatever I was at, you know, 1580 on DXCC challenge. You should, you should apply for this. And I thought, I don't even know what this is. And man, what a, what a great kept secret that is that, that alone <laughs> and the CQ marathon has probably motivated me more to stay on the air regularly just to fill slots. So, um, I've got a loaded question for Bernie, but I'll ask Mike, uh, have you been, do, do you, you obviously, do you follow the challenge? And, and uh, <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> I, I do now. Um, I remember it came out in 2000. Um, and, and the, I think the main reason was, as I mentioned, there are thousands of guys on the honor roll. There were so many guys that had worked everything and they wanted something else to chase. So, uh, they came up with the idea, well, just chase everything on every band. Um, in the earlier days, uh, a, a proper DXer would work an expedition once or twice. You work them once and then, well, maybe you work them on another band or mode just in case you're not in the log. And if you did any more than that, you were considered to be a DX hog. You, that was bad form. And then now they come up with the DXCC challenge. You work everything on every band. I was already on the honor roll. Then I looked at that and says, oh, that's stupid. I'm not going to bother with that. And, you know, 10 years later, I, enough people are talking about it. I finally figured, okay, I'll go look and see what I've got. And, uh, like you, I was around 1500. I, um, I took, I applied all my logbook of the world credits i looked through all my cards i had five or six hundred cards um at that time in for mm was the closest card checker to me i called him up says john i got about 600 cards you want to check them he says i'm not going to do it while you wait you bring them to me you come back a week later so i took the cards over there with a case of beer and dropped them off and um and went back a week later and now i'm i'm at just over 2,900 on the challenge. I'll never catch up to Bernie or the big boys in the 3,000 club, but um, I, I do enjoy it. Um, my, my most recent one was FT8WW on 30 meters. That was my, it's my, uh, it's my only challenge point since last summer when I got a few on six. So, yeah, I chase it. <laughs> I, gotta, I feel so privileged. I don't have these problems. So when you're at 1,500 or 1,700, <laughs> You're still working everything. So I don't go a year without adding a band slot. So And that that's exciting, isn't it? It is. It there's really always is. something new. So the uh uh Mr. W3UR, I think he's in the three thousand plus. Is that right? Well Bernie's a big boy. He's yeah. a big boy. <laughs> I had gotten I was at the top of the honor roll, uh or very close to it. And I heard a, a, an old friend of mine, W4DR, on the air, and I 
we got to talking and I said, look, Bob, what do you do to, you know, to keep, keep active? You know, I love DXing. I like working DX. I like breaking pileups. I like DXing. And uh, I've, I've worked them all uh, except maybe one or two. And he goes, well, I work everything on every band on every mode. And I thought to myself, no, nah, I don't want to do that. But I want to work it at least once on every band. So I started in serious mode, probably around 80, 88, 1988. Wow. And uh, I've been chasing them ever since on all the bands. And then when, I, when they started the award, I was like, you know, uh, not near the top, but I was definitely uh, well on my way. And uh, I'm I'm now at 3174 worked um, out of a possible 3400. Um, wow! My, my last new one was also FT8WW on 30 meters. So, wow. and there's still a few more that uh, band slots for me for Crozet if if they get on the right bands. Let's take a break to learn about the Daily DX. Hey, I just poured you a cup of coffee. You look pretty happy. How'd you do? I worked him on the third call. Can you believe it? You worked him on the third call? Seriously? I thought you just had that little pistol station. I do, but I have a secret weapon. A secret weapon? What is it? Information. I knew when they were on the air, their operating habits. Heck, I even knew the equipment they're using. I just had to be there when they came up on the band. I even beat the spotting network. Wow, how'd you manage all that? I get the Daily DX from Bernie, W3UR. In addition to the weekly and daily bulletins, I also receive special notices when things change in real time. I feel that I'm always on top of every expedition. So now you just need to confirm it, right? Yep, that's it. Bernie even helps me with that, giving me QSL routes and QSL managers if they don't use LOTW. The Daily DX is a DX bulletin sent via email to you Monday through Friday. It includes DX news, IOTA news, QSN reports, QSL information, a DX calendar, propagation forecast, and much, much more. With a subscription to the Daily DX, you will also receive DX news flashes and other interesting DX tidbits. Bernie's been an integral part of my confirming over 300 entities and WAZ while operating a modest station. W3UR Bernie is the editor, a member of the DX Honor Roll, a member of the 3000 Challenge Club, as well as the editor of the How's DX column in QST. He is uniquely positioned to have his finger on the pulse of the DX community and shares this information weekly. Why not let Bernie be your secret weapon? You can get a free two-week trial at www.dailydx.com. Now let's go have that cup of coffee and tune around. So, Joe, I don't know if you're doing the challenge or if this whole conversation has challenged you to do the challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's it. It has challenged me maybe to do it, but I'm not like you guys. I, I have not messed with and and like Mike, I I need to go and and look up and see where where I really do stand. I might have thirty or forty. I I don't I don't know. Oh, I bet you I bet you have a thousand 
uh, either between LOTW and QSL cards or more already, Joe. You've, yeah. you've been so long. Yeah, yeah. I, I just need to, you know, there, there are so many things about a ham radio that we can get into. And, and this is just another facet. And that's what always fascinates me about ham radio, no matter what the guy or girl uh, is interested in. It seems like ham radio has got a slot for them. And, and that's what always, always seemed uh, so good and enter, entertaining to me. You, there's, there's always something to do. So I'll have to take you guys' advice and check that out. So the, the other topic that this leads us really well into is the whole application process, right? So I'm, a, I'm an aspiring DXer. I've got, you know, a couple of hundred QSL cards. Um, the question would be, what do I do? Um, and I can remember that my very first submission to the league, um, and, and we didn't have LOTW yet, so I bound up a box of cards. I insured them, although I don't know why I would have insured them because the odds of, you know, of getting – but anyway, I insured them. I put the return letter in there and completely filled everything out and signed it and put a check, ship it off to Newington. Um, and then coincidentally, about 10 days later, maybe two weeks – we're in the living room and my wife, you know, the phone rings and she comes in and says, there's some ham on the phone for you. His name is Don search. And I'm telling you, the f- <laughs> I was ready. I don't know how, if I had a weak heart, it, I'd have ended it right there because when the director, and I'm not sure what the official title is, but when Don called you, there was something going on. He didn't call you up just to say, Hey, these are so pretty. I'm so glad you sent them. <laughs> right? So he said to me, uh, and I was KB8DF at the time. He said, uh, were you ever KB8DF stroke C6 or VP9, VP9? And I said, gosh, no. Okay. Hey, someone claimed your call as a VP9 and I got investigated. And I don't show any, and that's it. It had nothing to do with my submission or anything, but I was like shaking. It's like, oh my God, what does he want? And <laughs> so uh, maybe um, we'll start with Mike a little bit historically how does the how would someone who's listening now, um, if they want to get this DXCC, um, their first hundred, or maybe in Joe's case, they've got a bunch, you know, what is the process? Well, historically, it, one would do exactly what you did is you fill out the paperwork and you send it to Newington. And, and you can still do that. Um, the forms are available on the ARRL website. Um, you fill them out, please fill them out neatly and carefully so the guys can read them uh, and, and you ship them off to Newington. Uh, there is a second way also with paper cards. It's called the online application where you type your QSO information in, into a form that, that is on the ARRL's servers. All, all the information is typed directly into their servers um, you put your credit card in your credit card slot on your machine to pay for the award. Um, and you print out the application and record sheets that list all your QSOs. And then you take that and your cards to your local DXCC card checker. Um, there's also a list of those on the ARRL website. Um, the card checker checks your cards um, to make sure that your cards and your application match. And then he gives you your cards back and he mails your application into Newington. Um, they receive the application and they look at it and they see the 
card checker is signed off on it and they just push a few buttons on their computer and, and your award goes through. Um, and then you mentioned logbook of the world, but we, um, you asked about paper cards. So let's stick with that for now, I guess. Okay. But that's the way it works. You know, there's, there's always been two things that uh, have intrigued me or as a young ham, I can remember when I first got my ticket, I didn't find out from the FCC. I found out from the little print shop down in Texas, right? Yep. You, yep. you get this thing, order, <laughs> so it's like, oh, here's one. And the other one was the amount of time it took to ship a box of cards and then get them back seemed like forever because some of those cards are multi-cards, right? So you need some of them for your next application yep. and you're just praying yep. they get back. So Bernie, he mentioned card checker. What is a card checker and how does a person become a card checker? Um, a card checker is someone that is um, accredited by the ARRL. Usually there's, um, I think if I remember right, for certain size clubs over 25 members, Oh, you can have a club with one? No. Um, you could be appointed by by your division director, your section manager, or a DX specialty club. Um, uh, has to be a, a, D, a DX club that's officially recognized by the league as being a special service club where their focus is DX. Um, the, the appointments are approved by the division director. Um, you have to be a DXer with at least 150 confirmed, and and you have to be well known by the people appointing you. They have to be able to vouch for you. They say, yes, this is a good guy. We can trust him to do things properly. And if so, you get your cards checked by a um, for for 160 meters, you have to have someone who has the 160 meter DXCC. They they've recently changed that. Um, so now, if if a card checker does not have a 160 DXCC, he fills out a little form, says, I'm not a 160 DXCC holder, um, but I check these anyway, so please check them over again. Um, so that's the way the rule stands as of today. Okay. So I'll go back to Bernie for a second. What When you say card checker, what are they looking at? It's 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 pretty... Um, and then secondly, what makes 160 different? Well, 160 meters, um, they're, they're mostly looking for that someone didn't take a 17 meter QSO that says 18 megahertz and put a dot in the middle of it to make it say 1.8 megahertz. That's the biggest thing that that uh, they're looking for there. Um, what was the other question? Um, what are they when, when they check a QSO? What are they? Well, looking what are they for? looking for? Yeah. They are looking for to make sure certain things are on the back of the of the QSL card, uh, that being your call sign, the full date, the month, day, year, uh, I believe the time, the band, the mode. They're not looking for um, a signal report, although that's what it does take. You do have to have some kind of exchange of information for a contact account. Um, they're also looking for on the, on the front or somewhere on the card, this, the call sign of the DX station and the country, uh, name of the DXCC entity or country. Um, I think that's everything that they're looking for. Right, Mike? Yes. Okay. Yes. And they want to make sure that it, you know, it's authentic. 
Yes, you you want to make sure the information on the card matches the information in the award <laughs> application. And and what you mentioned about a 17 meter or an 18 megahertz QSO with the added decimal point, I have seen that. Really? Yes, I have. But and and the guy a- didn't even do a good job trying to disguise <laughs> it. He, I mean, I, I could have seen that without my glasses on. <laughs> So the other one I always wondered about is if I give you a card where I worked Fiji on 60 meters and it was, you know, four in the afternoon from the East coast, it's like, "Ah, I don't think so, pal. (laughs) Well, no, that's, that's another thing about this. This contact happened at high noon at the guy's location Um, for the 160 contacts. They ask us to write in the GMT time of the QSO. On, on the application. Um, the time is not a part of the, the, the time is not recorded with, with the contacts. It's just the date, the band and the mode is, is the information they need to, um, and that's to let you know which DXCC award it applies to. And then the date for the expeditions, they, um, they have a database that tells with, um, what, what dates certain call signs were active from which countries. So, so they can check to see if it's valid against that. Okay, Joe, I think I talked over you. Sorry about that. No, no. I, um, because I wanted to get these uh, awards, so I, I load up all my uh, QSL cards, filled out the paperwork, took the cards to the card checker. And, and so, so here was one card that and so he calls me up and he says what well, your call is not even listed on there oh yeah well, i see that yeah it's blank yeah so then he uh he calls back later and this guy who was a wa2 a a2 i guess i'm looking at it backwards he put wb2 oh good grief so that was a good reason i think bill said earlier to work multiple peoples in each state, in each country. And then this never caught my, well, none of them caught my eye, but the scribbling yeah. on my call letter, he would not accept that because right. he didn't know if that guy made a mistake or if I was trying to forge it. Yep. yep. None of that ever entered my mind. And I took the cards down. So then when I took the next batch down, for whatever I was working on, then being a little smarter, I went through them to be sure that they had my call, they wouldn't scribble, and that the the time is right. Because working a guy on 160 uh, from Asia at 12 o'clock noon, that's just not going to happen. So the whole process was extremely interesting to me, how we really need to be sure that we all fill out our cards properly so that when we send them to the person that's requesting them, that they're filled out right so he or she can get in the board. Right. Yeah, so Dave Vest, uh, KDV, is, is a local card checker that is in our club that I use a lot. Uh, he gave a presentation one time talking about a meeting that occurred uh, at the uh, Marriott between, and I don't remember, maybe somebody that was on 4W and, and somebody from Pennsylvania, and they basically had a napkin, but he had his log with him, so he filled it out, and he signed it, 
And, you know, did everything they needed. And then Dave was there and looked at it and said, yep, this is legit. Off we go. And they were, so it doesn't take a formal QSL card, right? It's yeah. just, no, it, it doesn't. No. So just an acknowledgement of the, of the, but, but when I talked to Don Serge again, I said, I'm telling you, I work Vietnam. Isn't that good enough? I was a Boy Scout. <laughs> So, so I can't always get there. Let's take a break to learn about a program that could reward those of you that have been helping young hams move up the DX ladder. The Southwest Ohio DX Association, SWODEXA, in conjunction with ICOM America Inc., is announcing a program to recognize and reward amateur radio operators who have played a key role in helping other amateur radio operators achieve DXCC. The purpose of this program is not to bring recognition to those that achieve DXCC, but rather to recognize those amateurs that assist others in achieving their first 100 confirmed entities. There is an application form and a judging committee staffed by SWODEXA representatives and a representative from both the Northern California DX Foundation and the International DX Association. Those amateurs receiving the help must be under 30 years of age during the calendar year for the award. The intent of targeting this audience is to attract and retain those amateurs that are most likely to remain engaged in the hobby after achieving DXCC. SWODEXA is uniquely positioned to bestow this award at the annual SWODEXA DX Dinner. The DX Dinner, held annually in conjunction with the Dayton Hamvention, is arguably the largest gathering of active DXers in the world. We present the DXpedition of the Year Award, the DXpeditioner of the Year Award when applicable, and host the DX Forum. CQ Magazine announces their CQ DX Hall of Fame inductees at the DX Dinner as well. As a technology leader in our hobby, there is no better partner to promote and celebrate this award than ICOM. Ray, N9JA, has been a constant promoter of ham radio, even coining the phrase, for the love of ham radio. ICOM has selflessly supported amateur radio over the years and is taking this opportunity to promote the mentors of DX. Thanks to ICOM for their support. More information and the entry form can be found at www.swodexa.org dx-mentor-program by emailing the dxmentor at gmail.com or by calling 1-513-855-855. 3980. So one of the uh, other things that's a little tangential maybe, but it's something I've always been curious about. Um, and I brought this up to Joe because he's been on Midway and Swains. And so I'm always curious, you know, how do we know that these guys going to Bouvet are actually on Bouvet and they're not sitting in the boat just off the island? I mean, there's got to be documentation or something, Right. So, uh, and one neat thing that uh, Glenn Johnson, W0GJ does is a presentation on the NCDXF rock collection where people have brought rocks and sand and pebbles from different places. Um, I don't think sending the application in with rocks from Bouvet is, is adequate, but I, I am curious, what, what does it take that I know, or not that I know, how does the ARL know that you really are sitting off the coast, at Bouvet and not sitting off the coast? And so they, anyone, that, anyone that can. So the ARL has a list that they do not publish of countries that they're looking for documentation of some sort. Um, now they're not going to request documentation for W's 
and DLs and JAs. They're looking for the more difficult countries and they've got a list and they, they know what it is. And they look at the, um, at that list when, when someone says we're going here or we went here and then they will ask the de-expeditioner to submit all the documents that they have that they think will help make them count for DXCC, such as we would like to see a copy of your license. That's pretty much a done. I mean, that's a, that's number one that there's no getting around that. Um, they may want to see um, your plane tickets or your boat uh, uh, manifest or whatever. Um, they may want to see a copy of your uh, passport with that stamp on it for that certain country. Um, they may want to see photos of you in front of something from that country that is very unique. Um, there are other things, I won't go into all of them, but they do um, um, a real good background check to make sure um, you were where you said you were. And they're, they're, I think they've been accurate most of the time. There's been a few that they've come back later and they've realized, whoops, this really? one went through. <laughs> and uh, we won't mention anybody's call sign, but... Romeo, Romeo, wherefore? <laughs> <laughs> Bernie, would, would they do that for the top 25, 20, uh, the top 25 or top 50? Oh, it's, it's, it's more, I'm sure it's over 100 that they need some kind of, of um, documentation for, yes. Because uh, some of them I have on, you're, you're right on target. That is exactly what they asked us for. Yeah, picture the hotel. Yeah, and it's not, they, they will never publish that list because they don't want people to know how far, like, could I cheat on, if I can't cheat on those 160 that are on that list, <laughs> yeah. can I go to, you know, the, the next rarest one that's not on the list? They're not going to tell you. Very cool, interesting. <laughs> I also, since, since we're talking about the subject, um, the ARRL is, uh, when they get the documentation, they will not release it to anyone else. It is their copy, and they will not release it to anyone. Huh. As it should be. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. They can be trusted with your with your documentation. Very interesting. Um, I, I've always thought that in, in all the things that the league does, to me, there's at least two solid reasons that every ham should be a member. Uh, certainly two solid reasons if you're interested in DX. And one is to be a full participant in the DXCC program. The second is for the Spectrum Defense Fund. If nothing else, yes. right, the fact that those two, with the group that's talking here and the people hopefully listening to us, that would be two reasons. And I know from time to time, depending on who you talk to, there's there's criticisms of, of everything, right? But those two things to me really is what keeps the league an important component of everything we're doing. Um, but the other thing, though, and I maybe ask all of you to comment, is the impact that Logbook of the World has had. Um, so, um, Mike, do you want to kind of explain what Logbook of the World is? And, and secondly, one point I want to make sure we don't miss is you do not have to be a member of the league 
to um, use Logbook of the World, right? At least to upload to it. So That's the rest correct. of us can benefit of your. Yes. So what is LOTW? So lo Logbook of the World is really cut into my business as a card checker. Oh, I used to do four or 5,000 cards a year. Um, okay. <laughs> anyway, it started. Uh, Logbook of the World is an electronic filing system. It's a, it's a, it's a record of QSOs. Um, it started, when did it start? 2003, there are well over 1 billion QSOs stored in Logbook of the World. Um, hams from anywhere in the world may upload their log in a, a very specific digitally signed format. And QSOs that match, QSOs that result in QSLs may be used for the ARRL awards and a couple of the CQ awards, um, Workdahl Zones and WPX. Um, it is a very, very quick and very inexpensive way to confirm a contact. Um, instead of having to put something in the mail and wait for a couple of months and hope that you are in the log. <laughs> um, you, you can often get confirmation even from a DX contact with, within a day or less. Um, and let me just, you said something that I thought was very important a minute ago about the league. Um, spectrum defense is absolutely vital. If it, without the league, we would probably wouldn't have bands to operate on. And and people do complain about them, and and I think that's good because no no organization is perfect, and any organization can benefit from change. Um, the but it's easier to change an organization from the inside from the outside. So if you don't like something that's going on, get active, and work to change it from within. Um, and hopefully that will be a change for the better, and we'll all benefit from it. Okay. Joe, what has been your experience with LOTW? Because I know you've been ramping up over the last couple of years. So. Yeah, I, uh, I've used it a lot to apply for all these awards. Like Mike says, it is just so, so simple. Rather than um, taking the time to fill out a QSL card, mailing it a, a around the world, and, it, and you finally get it back six or 12 months later. But LOTW, you can do this whole procedure uh, from home and, and do it in just a few minutes. I use it every day. I, I upload depending on, on how many cues I'm making, but I'll upload two or three times a day, 30, 40, um, you know, maybe at a time. But, but I really like LOTW. But to get onto it, it seems like uh, you, you need a little help. And, and I've had several people, in, including Bill here, to uh, help me navigate through it. it. It just seems like it ought to be a little simpler, but I'm not an IT guy, and, but, it, but it looks like the league, uh, in, in all fairness, could do a, a better job of simplifying all these processes. But maybe it's just me, Bill. No, I don't think it's you, but I know it's think, not. <laughs> but but I will say, being in IT, that if you're going to have something that's truly as locked down and secure as I hope that is, oh, yeah. sometimes there's not an easy way, an easy, simple way to do it. 
This sounds like a great time to get an update from ICOM. Earlier in this podcast, we talked to you about the ICOM IC705 and the IC7300. But what do you know about the ICOM ID52A? It is a VHF UHF dual bander with D-Star and FM dual mode functions and is the first handheld amateur radio with a full color 2.3 inch waterfall display. This radio supports conventional FM communications and D-Star simplex, as well as repeater, regional, and worldwide calls over the D-Star internet gateway. You can even send photos over D-Star with a connected Android device. Other features include wideband receiver with a guaranteed range of 144 to 148 and 440 to 450 megahertz. VV, UU, and VU with dual DV mode. Integrated GPS and GLONASS receiver, including grid square location. Micro SD card slot. Micro USB for data transfer, programming, and charging. An IPX7 waterproof standard. The ID52A is a perfect companion to the IC705. Both use compatible batteries and headsets, and you can also use the same Android app for D-Star operation. Create your own band opening with the IC9700. This transceiver brings direct sampling to the UHF-VHF weak signal world. This all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are sure to keep you busy. Faster processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal. Other features include a 4.3 inch touchscreen color TFT LCD display, real-time high-speed spectrum scope and waterfall display, smooth satellite operation with 99 satellite channels, dual watch operation, and full duplex operation in satellite mode. For more information on all the products and accessories that ICOM has to offer, check out www.icomamerica.com for the love of ham radio. So, Bernie, the question I have is, you know, there is another um, organization or, or group that allows you to upload QSL, uh, upload QSOs, and then you can create an online QSL card and you can kind of exchange QSL cards that way. Do you ever see LOTW getting to a point where um, there is a way to exchange graphical images of cards, let's say, inside the database or inside the LOTW system? Yeah, I don't know if that's part of the new plan for the future rollout of LOTW, but um, it certainly can be done, and it, I I wouldn't think it'd be that difficult to do. Um, on I, I want to back up just for a second, if I could, for the um, on the ARRL membership thing, not not just um, ARL, because I'm sure you're eventually going to get um, people from other countries that are going to be um, listening to your podcast. I would say. If possible, everybody should be a member of their national society um, because they do stuff that the individual can't do. Um, they meet at the ITU. They meet with the people that make the rules and regulations for our, our wonderful hobby. Um, and like Mike said, as far as ARRL is concerned, we have here in the United States, we can elect who we want to be our division um, uh, directors. And 
you know, if you don't like something, tell the director, say, look, I don't like it this way. And you're not going to get everything that you want. That's not the way it's going to work. But well, if enough people tell their directors, hey, we want to save 160 meters or we want this or that. If enough people do that, it's, it's going to be, um, you know, the, the procedure that they go through. Okay, great. So I think as far as the DXCC program, I think we've, we've done a really good job of covering things. So let me, is, is there anything I left out that you think I should have stressed or even mentioned? Oh, see, that's I, good. I, I, I think we, we covered it pretty well. And, and like you said, what the questions will come and, as they come in and then they get answered next time. Yes. I think one of the, I think uh, one of the, the questions you might get from some of your listeners is um, about the criteria for the DXCC. Um, why is it a country? And I think if if you look at the the criteria, there's there's several different ways that a country be, becomes a country on the DXCC list, whether it be a political entity, and there's three different, three or four different ways that you can get on that list, or a um, uh, trying to think of what the ge a geographical separation country. Um, there, there's criteria for that, and the DXCC program they follow those rules, and yeah, I, I just want to make sure that they know there is a criteria for new country. And for example, a lot of people don't like the idea of Sprat, uh, excuse me, uh, Scarborough Reef being a DXCC entity. Um, it was put on the list um, and a lot of people did not like it. It met the criteria at the time. And immediately after um, they came up with a new criteria uh, for any new DXCC entities. It doesn't affect the old ones, the grandfathered ones, the ones that are already on the list. And there will never, ever be another Scarborough Reef type of country um, because of that 100 meters uh, above sea level at high tide, yada, yada, yada. I don't, I don't know the exact rule, but my point is it, it's there'll never be another Scarborough Reef. And the other point I wanna make is, it's gonna stay a country until it no longer meets the DXCC criteria. Once it no longer meets the criteria, it will be deleted. Oh, once it no, once it no longer meets the criteria that were in place when it was added. Correct, yes, okay. thank you. And, and if I recall, the Scarborough Reef issue was at high tide, it was literally a little rocks above ground that they built a two by four structure on and then sat on top of that, right? So, Correct. which to me was dangerous as could be, my goodness. Correct. Right. Okay. Um, Joe? Any well, thoughts about any? I'm sorry, dead silence. Any? I surprised you. Any thoughts about what we talked about? Or? I got involved in uh, Bernie's talk there. No, I'm I'm good. I think we uh, put on a good presentation. This has been fun as always. Um, I enjoy doing all this uh, 
these types of things. So uh, let's do it again. So the last thing I, um, I, in my mind, I, I like to ask when we're done on every podcast, no matter what the topic is, what do you find exciting about DX? Because what I'm really hoping is we're getting folks on here that have, you know, maybe they've worked 30 or 40 countries and, and now it's like, yeah, maybe I'll take a look at this. So um, I'm just going to go clockwise on my screen. Uh, Bernie, uh, what do you, what do you have? What do you see as exciting about DX? Oh, I think for me, it's the magic. It's the magic of calling CQ or answering a station and not knowing uh, who's going to come back to you, um, where they are, um, what they do for a living, um, you know, what kind of equipment they have, um, you know, and then afterwards getting a QSL card or a confirmation from, from that station and, and telling my friends, uh, whether it be family or ham radio friends, oh man, you won't believe it. Today I worked a guy in Baku, Azerbaijan. Very cool. Mike? Uh it's kind of the same for me. Uh, I like to tune the bands, see what's out there. You never know what, what you're going to hear. I mean, we've been doing this for all, all of us have been doing this for years. We have a real good idea when the band is supposed to be open to different parts of the world, but you're regularly, you're surprised by what you hear. You, some things you don't expect. Um, you know, you might hear a guy in Mongolia, Azerbaijan, um, and and I, I I enjoy that just listening to what's out there because you never know what it's going to be, um, and I think more than anything I enjoy the friendships that I've made with people from around the world. Um, it's all for me. It's all about fellowship. The uh, the friends I've made uh, on the air and at at ham radio conventions. Um, I. I, I enjoy that actually more than all the technical uh, aspects of the thing. It's uh, outside of ham radio in my professional life. Everybody I knew was identified by what instrument they played. Um, and, and uh, you get on the radio and you meet people from all works, all walks of life, people who do everything. Um, and that, and as a DXer, many of these people are in foreign countries, which makes them even more interesting. And I, I enjoy that. Now let's hear a quick word about an upcoming DX event. Hey, what are the drinks for? Cheers to another year. Cheers? What are we toasting? Well, I just finished reading the latest Swadexa newsletter announcing the 36th annual DX dinner held in conjunction with the 2023 Dayton Hamvention. Ah, well, thanks for reading it. Do you think you can make it to the dinner? Absolutely. I already put it on the calendar, Friday, May 19th. Hey, it's still at the University of Dayton Marriott, right? Yeah, it sure is. That's a great venue with great food and a terrific location, and we have another year of fantastic prizes. Ooh, sounds fabulous. I've got the date, but I need to add the time. When does the dinner start? Well, the dinner starts at 7, but there's a cash bar at 5.30, and then there'll be time after the dinner to network connect, and reconnect with other DXers. You expect many people this year? This dinner is always well attended by some of the most avid DXers in the world. Previous dinners have had over 400 attendees. As in the past, there will be some major door prizes, especially the grand prize sponsored by ICOM. There's always great anticipation as to who will be named the DXpedition of the year, 
as well as who will be inducted into the CQDX Hall of Fame. I bet your dad's looking forward to this. Does the Marriott have handicap accessible parking? Well, sure. The Marriott is very accommodating to a group our size. The dining room is very large and located on the ground floor, so there are no steps, and there's ample, free, on-site parking. Well, I can't wait to hear who gets the D-Expedition of the Year Award. Hey, who's your keynote speaker this year? Well, the keynote speaker is Adrian, K-O-8-S-C-A. He's a veteran of many D-Expeditions, and he'll be fresh off the Bouvet trip. Wow, I'm looking forward to that. You know what? I put the date on the calendar and the time, but I did not order the tickets. Tell me again where I can go grab some. Tickets can be purchased on the Swadexa Events website at swadexaevents.org slash purchase hyphen tickets. Program details and a list of the prizes are already on the website, so check them out. Let's make a date of it. I'm in. Joe? These guys have pretty much said it all. But <laughs> I, like the, uh, I like the challenge up. I get up every morning. I'm, I'm big into the gray line, uh, the sunrise and, and sunset. And, and the challenge of, uh, of hearing some guy or girl in, in Japan and being able to work them uh, with the equipment that we have and that we put together and that within a um, split second, these people answer back. And that just even today, after all these years, it, it still amazes me how, how this all comes together. And then it's, it's good bragging rights when you go to the club meeting. <laughs> And you get around your friends and you say, hey, I, I worked uh, Bernie over here in, in uh, North Korea the other day. Did you get him? No, I didn't get him. So um, I just love it. I'm, I'm just obsessed with, with ham radio. No question about it. So what I find funny about the Xers is that, uh, and, and Joe maybe 15 years ago said, you want to try to get Bernie to come to this convention? Yeah, but I don't know him, blah, blah. Just call him. The worst he can do is say no. But what I have found is, you know, DXers is a group, you know, club meetings, they all just kind of sit there, maybe a couple clusters around and no one's really interacting. And it's really funny. And yet, if you go up to any one of them and say, you know, I'm really having trouble operating split or something, right, on this particular radio, I understand nine times out of 10, come on over, come to my house, sit down, let me show you how it is. So it, it is a very social thing. Um, and it's funny because the way I met Bernie was literally a phone call saying, Hey, here's who I am. You don't know me from Adam, but we have this thing going on and here's the people who are associated. Would you consider coming over? Uh, we worked that out. Um, I met K zero MD in line at Sedco down in Tennessee. Who are you? Oh, I've heard of you. We chatted a little bit and he invited me to an event at, uh, Dayton Hamvention where, I literally was standing talking to Mike. Oh, who are you? And here's who I am. And we struck up a, a conversation that way. Uh, and then I think maybe 30 years ago, jail, uh, Joe bailed me out. So that's how I met him. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I can't tell you all how much I personally appreciate you being part of this. Um, I, if it's okay, if anyone has questions, they can access you through qrz.com. Um, and at the end here, there's a little message about how to ask, uh, get a hold of me or the, the podcast. But um, you guys have taken personal time, and, and I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. So when I do get to P5, you'll be at the top of the list, and, uh, and I'll make sure you're in the log before anybody else is. So thank you so much, <laughs> and, and look forward to talking to you guys in the future. All right. Thanks, Bill. See ya. Thanks, thanks. 70, 73 OM. Yeah. <laughs> well done. I found that fun and entertaining and very interesting, and I hope you did as well. 
Thank you for joining us on the DX Mentor Podcast. I'd certainly like to thank our sponsors, ICOM America, the Daily DX, and the Southwest Ohio DX Association. You won't find any vendors who are more committed to DX than these sponsors are. I certainly would like to thank our DX gurus for this podcast, Mike, W0VTT, Bernie, W3UR, and Joe, W8GEX. I'd love to have your feedback answer your questions, and provide help with any DX or amateur radio issues that you might have. You can contact us by mail at thedxmentor at gmail.com. You can also call us at 513-855-3980. Please drop me a line if you've achieved an all-time new one, you've received recognition, or have a DX event that you'd like us to mention. We'd be happy to do that. 7-3 for this episode. Thanks to my XYL Karen for her love and support.